Hello, I'm Simon Rimmer and this is Grilling, the podcast brought to you in association with Weber Barbecues, in which top chefs share their passion for food. Now, as well as learning about the culinary histories of our guests, we also explore the practical side of cooking, both indoors and out, of course, with a few tips, mouth-watering ingredient combinations and recipe ideas thrown in along the way. Amongst those who've already joined us on the podcast, Ken Hom, Angela Hartnett, Nadia Hussain, The Hairy Bikers and Tom Kerridge. So be sure to check out our back catalogue if you haven't already. Some cracking interviews on there, if I do say so myself. Today, it's the turn of Mr. Zuha Hassan, best known, of course, as Big Zoo. Born to a Sierra Leonean mother and a Lebanese father, food has always been an important part of Zoo's life. He started experimenting himself when he was about 10, developing his talent throughout his youth alongside his other passion of rapping. In 2019, TV channel Dave commissioned him to present Big Zoo's Big Eats, in which he prepares a meal for different guests each episode in his own inimitable Big Zoo style. Welcome, my friend. That was <laughs> no. a nice intro. It, like oh, a it was a great intro. <laughs> it was a great intro. I feel very grown, actually. Yeah. So so let's start at the beginning then. So, so growing up, I mean, you... You brought up on the Mozart estate in Kilburn. Yeah. I mean, there's no nice way of putting it. It's an estate that is known for having problems, shall yes. we say. So what are, you, what are your memories of growing up? Well, we was a bit all over the gaff because my mum was a refugee from Sierra Leone. She came over during the, war, the rebel war. So when she first came over, we was moving all over the gaff. We kind of settled in the high road and it was, it was tough. It, at first it was kind of like, okay, this is what you know. This area is what you know. But then, I was I went primary school in Marlebone. So my primary school was in a nice area, you know, in front of the landmark hotel next to the eye hospital. Oh. You know, it How was come? A, How come I just went I we lived all over and it was just a, the closest primary school to my old house. So when I moved, we just I just kept going to that primary school. So I went primary school in a really nice area. Then I lived where I lived in High Road, it counts as Maid of L. So right. even though we're living in temporary housing and the blocks are there. You're next to like Elgin Avenue, which is million pound houses. And do you know what I mean? Yeah. The whole made of well. So it's that juxtaposition of like the rich and poor. Now, whenever people, whenever people kind of like, because I'm lucky enough, I've got, been able to go around the UK a lot. I'm really lucky that I grew up in West London because as much as we was broke, we had that kind of like ambition and like was lucky enough that if I needed to go to the shopping centre, I would go to Oxford Street. Yeah. And if I needed to go somewhere, I would go Bayswater. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I was really lucky to have these beautiful, amazing parks and places, places like Hyde Park, Regent's Park, all these things, the greatest things I think about London were all on my doorstep. Do you think that influenced you in terms of being ambitious? And, and were your contemporaries like that? Because clearly, yeah. the way you speak it, about it now, yeah. there's a real joy in kind of like saying, okay, I knew where we were, but almost like straight yeah. away you're thinking, I know what I'd like to be. Yeah, subconsciously, it wasn't something that we always knew. It was just something that inspired us without us realising. When we got older, we kind of realised, okay, growing up around this is big inspiration because when you're not from London, I get to see, I've met a lot of people who have moved to London to, to follow their career that, don't come from places like me where they you go back to their hometown, they got one city centre. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So then where I have that all in my little hood, it's like, okay, I should appreciate this. It's like when I was younger, I didn't appreciate it. I used to think, oh, this is so boring. I can't wait to get out of it. Yeah. Then when I got older, I realised, damn, like we actually had a lot of opportunities, places, things to do, and a lot of inspiration. And I think that inspiration kind of, you kind of like, it's your settings, isn't it? Your settings kind of inspire you to become what you want to be. And, we was lucky enough that yes, we was wasn't in the greatest place, but we was also surrounded by place, like places like Lambert Grove. It's so beautiful. There's yeah. a lot of poverty there, 
But then you have the Portobello market, you have the main lab at Grove, you have these things that are like really nice bits of culture. And that's what we was lucky enough to be able to experience. And were you a good kid at school? Oh God. I weren't naughty. I was just, I was just, Cheeky. I just talked a lot, talked a lot. <laughs> I was, I was bright. I was like in the top set, everything, did like my triple science. I was in a gifted and talented, which is like something that you get inducted. We got inducted by Boris Johnson random as hell when he was running for mayor <laughs> so I was I was a bright kid I just used to speak a lot and get in trouble for talking that was like my main thing do you think do you think you listen because I always think I was cheeky at school and I think that I did all right at school yeah. but I always sort of feel that if I'd actually listened a bit more rather because I, I was similar to you in the fact yeah. that I like to have my voice heard <laughs> but I would just like my voice heard not with necessarily any sense yeah 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 I think for me I just love I just loved having fun and attention. I definitely loved a little bit of attention because <laughs> I grew up with my mom. We didn't have a massive family. It was just me and her, really. I used to kind of like wanted to have that like big family spirit. So when I used to get to school, I'm at home with my friends, yeah. you know. So when we were in lesson, we'd just be having a laugh, and and then obviously the teacher trying to teach, trying to do a job, you know. So for me, it was more just about the fun, having laughs, like. I never used to think, oh, okay, I'm disrupting that that child's yeah. learning. Nope, I just want maximum fun. You know? <laughs> so, so home life then. So, you, so your dad was wasn't really much on the city. Nah, your dad nah, was nah. From, from the Lebanon. From... He's from Lebanon, but he yeah. lived in Sierra Leone. Yeah, okay. he was born in Sierra Leone, raised in Sierra Leone. Okay, yeah. so so at home then. So fundamentally, just you and your mum. Mm-hmm. And then, so what what was food like then? Ah, uh, I mean, my mum was a my mum was a big chef. She she cooks a lot of Sierra Leone food. Um, as much as we didn't have a lot of family. We did have we used to have a lot of people come over, my uh-huh. friends and stuff. And my mum's called Mummy. So my mum in her family is the head. It sounds very weird. But okay. in, in, in Sierra Leone culture, a lot of West African culture, a woman is normally the head of the family in terms of taking care of stuff. Obviously, the man does his thing, he goes and work, get his money in. But the the mum does everything. That's mummy. So my mum was called Mummy, and then my grandma is called Auntie Marie. Right. So I used to call my grandma auntie. Right. And my mum. I'm confused mommy. already. So confused. <laughs> my granddad, yeah, used yeah. to call my mum my mum mummy. Okay. So everyone called Stop her Stop banging on the desk. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, guys. Sorry, I'm just trying to get my point across. <laughs> but basically, my mum was like the head of the family. Yeah. So she was the big chef, big cooking. That's her. I, were, you, I, were you aware of that then? Because uh, would you aware that of that sort of matriarchy that you know people clearly looked up uh, to your mum then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because everyone used to call her mummy. So I yeah. Used to be like, I remember when I first met Sierra Leone, I was like eight, nine, and then my granddad called my mum mummy, and I was so confused. I was like, mum, why is he calling you mummy? He is your dad, and she, <laughs> she's like, yes, I'm the mummy. And then, but that she used to do big Sierra Leonean cooking, and growing up in England, going to my friend's house. I had enough of Sierra Leone cooking by the time I got like to 9, 10. Yeah. I just wanted to eat pasta, frozen food. I just wanted to eat pizza. And my mum was not on that. So what? So tell me what Tell me what food you had then. When your mum was cooking, not when you were eating well, rubbish cooking. food. It was, it was a lot of jollof rice, okra stew, you know, things like cassava leaf um, stew, peanut butter stew, just the typical Sierra Leonean stews. And the thing is now, you really love those. Oh, yeah. Thank you for letting them know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but you do because I know everything that I've sort of read about you. And every time I see yeah. you, then jollof rice is always one of those number things one. That, yeah, it's it's that thing that you always kind of bring up. So if you're gonna cook jollof rice, how do you do it? What's your? Oh, I mean, I've got so there's a lot of different ways. There's the Sierra Leone way, there's the Nigerian way. Yeah, jollof 
originates from Senegal, if I'm correct. It's from the Wolof region. So it's called Wolof with a W. Uh-huh. Obviously, it's been changed to Jolof. We do it. We do. We stew a lot of stuff. So the Nigerians and stuff, they kind of blend it. They blend their tomato base uh-huh. and then they cook it. Whereas we, we slow cook the onions, slow cook the tomatoes, boil the lamb, take out the lamb, fry it on the bone. Mm. Add it into your mixture of your stewed tomatoes in that base. Add your rice. And then that lamb stock is what you add into the rice to let it cook. So it has a lot of good fundamental cooking. Yeah, of course. You know, the the meat is cooked three ways. It's, it's, It's boiled, fried, then stewed. Yeah. The stock is cooking the rice. The stew, the, the the onions and tomatoes get stewed for thirty minutes with a lot of seasoning. It's a lot of good cooking. Yeah, you know, it's well, kind of like no Italian. waste. There's no waste. There's zero waste. Yeah, it feels like I call it African risotto. When my mom cooks it, I always tell her like, you know, these are like big chefing things that you're doing, like using the stock. Da 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 da. But she never looks at it. She just looks like we cooked it like this because. That's the way that we could. Yeah. So they could only cook it one pot because they only have one pot with a fire. And they have to boil the meat because they have to kill the bacteria. You know what I mean? It's all yeah. these little things. And also soften the meat as well. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, because the meat is quite tough because obviously exactly. you're kind of, you're eating lamb that is basically, it's not kept in a little pen. Nah. It's wandering. So it's it's got an awful lot of muscle. It's got far more muscle than 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 lambs that are but yeah, raised on a farm. But that's why it's so interesting because it's like, all these cooking techniques are for a reason. They're yes. Not, they're not actually just to make the food nice, but then when you break them down, they're also ways to make the food amazing. So yeah. it's, it's it's lovely. So when did you start cooking? Literally, so my mom got with my my brother's dad when I was like eight, nine, and she was pregnant when around when I was 10. And she was just really tired around the house, proper tired, couldn't be bothered to cook. And I was just like, let me help. Let me try. I've always... Always been a foodie. Always, I mean, was a, I was a little fat boy. Love food, but I just never cooked. So I just said I'm gonna try, and then I just thought like I've, I've said the story to before, but I saw the tortellini in the fridge. Yeah, and I was like, surely you just boil this. And then I read it, and it said boil for two minutes. And then I did it, and my mum was like, what is going on? This is not cooked. Took the packet out of the bin, and I showed her. Look, it says boil two minutes. And then she's like, okay, maybe it's okay. And then we went from there. Because you have that success, I mean, I always think, you know, my kids have always cooked from a young age. And mm. always because that joy of saying, here's something that is raw or is inedible. Mm. Then you sit down with something in front of you mm. and you eat it, go, I actually made this. I'm mm. actually, you know, I'm actually looking after myself. <laughs> was it was it that simple that made you think, you know what, this is actually great? Yeah, definitely. Um, when I first made that first dish, I was like, okay, this is fun. Then I was like, what can I actually get into? So I started making, breakfast was the biggest thing. My son. Exactly that. He'd always, yeah. always, I mean, our house was always like a hotel and he'd have, he'd have mates around all the time. Saturday morning, he would make breakfast yeah. for everyone. So, so that's what it was. I used to kind of like wake up on Saturday, sun, Saturdays and Sundays, I'd wake up super early. My friends would always be at my house and that's when my mom would go shopping. So we would just raid the fridge, abuse the fridge. <laughs> but what it taught me was timing and heat control. I had to burn a million eggs. Yeah. I had to ruin a million beans, over-season anything like the most I'll season toast I don't know I don't know what it was I was trying everything yeah and it was breakfast it was thinking about it now speaking about it now it was making breakfast that kind of taught me okay I love cooking I loved making breakfast and then serving it yeah and then going to someone he got his brekkie and then the brekkie is not just a little rubbish little one whatever it's something that's really nice yeah. it's like you're like mm, this is good and that feeling of seeing someone and I'm like well I just fry the egg and put some beans on the hob 
with yeah. a bit of onions yeah. and you're going crazy. Like I cooked you the craziest thing in the world. So that's when I was like, okay, let me get into this more. And that's when I started watching a lot of cooking shows. And then luckily I went to secondary school and we did food tech. Ah, and that was, okay. that's what let me work in like a big kitchen yeah. with a big hob, big pans, yeah. you know. But we're coming back to your breakfast thing, because I think, yeah. well, one, I think that breakfast is a really great discipline because there's so many oh, yeah. component parts to it. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. you sort of think if you make somebody steak and chips, you make steak and you make chips, job done. If yeah. you breakfast, you've got toast, you've got eggs, you've got beans, you've got bacon, you've got sausage, you've yeah. got mushrooms. <laughs> so there's many, many component parts in it. But I do think that thing that you're saying about kind of seasoning, I remember when I first started cooking, I did really, I, I became so obsessed with it when I opened my first restaurant that I stopped drinking coffee and tea. Yeah. I stopped drinking alcohol because I felt it affected my taste buds. And what you've just said sort of how it's in that I think you learn to taste as much as you learn to cook. Yeah, that's true. Well, you know, like you said, yeah, you, uh, you learn that that is over seasoned, but yeah. therefore I know next time I'm going to yeah, yeah, back yeah. on that. Yeah. And that's quite a joy. Yeah, that's mad. That's mad. That's, that's, I mean, you stop drinking alcohol and coffee. Yeah. Yeah. I, honestly, I, I mean, I, I was completely bonkers. That's mad. I used to go to, I used to go to market at five o'clock every morning, wholesale market to yeah. learn about produce. Crazy. And then I would literally buy produce for the day. I'd go back to the restaurant. I'd write a menu on the base of what I'd written. And bear in mind, that was teaching myself to cook yeah. at the same time. But I did it because I, I felt I needed to learn how to taste, yeah. and uh, it, it, it's such a massive thing. Okay, so so back so back to home. To home. Yeah, yeah. So, so you're doing uh, you're doing food technology yeah. in secondary school. <laughs> yeah. What's the best thing you cooked in home in in food tech? It was making a room. That was everything. Ah, uh, that's that's true. That's where I proper fell in love with cooking. I think when I made the first roux. Because I love macaroni and cheese. I used to eat macaroni and cheese in a can from Lidl. I could. That was the proper one. Yeah. yeah that was like mum's mum's cooked some African food today and I'm not I'm not having it. It's too spicy. Yeah. It's too much scotch bonnet. Mum, let me get one of those. Put that in the microwave. <laughs> Bob's your uncle. And I was really picky like that when I was younger. Obviously, when I got older, like you said, like you know, we embrace African food. But when I was young, yeah. macaroni and cheese is a big thing. So when I made a roux. I used to think macaroni cheese is just a bit of milk, a bit of cream. Yeah, yeah. You know, because it doesn't have that consistency. Yeah. So when I made the roux, I made a bechamel and had a macaroni with that, I was like, oh my, this is like restaurant. <laughs> this, felt, this is like if you get macaroni and cheese from a restaurant, like, if, I felt like I had the power. I love that. And I then, love we that. We used to make roux with a whisk. Yeah. Because that was like the easier way. Then I learned you have to use a wooden spoon. Yeah. Then I learned, obviously, I don't, I'm not really good at measurements. I kind of like go yeah. with it, go with the flow. So I had to burn a lot of roux. You know, they go brown. Yeah. There's too, they go a bit crumbly. There's yeah. too much, there's too much flour. It was a lot of that. And then learning how to like bring it all together, whip it up, put that macaroni in, the, in and then we made macaroni. Then you made the lasagna with the bechamel. Then you learn, okay, with a roux, you can make like Swedish meatballs. or you know, the gravy, yeah, yeah. you can yeah. make the gravy with that. The, all these things were just blowing my mind. I was like, oh my God, all from this one little butter and flour. Then we made um, shoe pastry. Yeah. And it's like a similar process. Yeah, yeah. Same process, but similar. And then I was like, okay, cooking is crazy. This is crazy. You're telling me I can make eclairs and macaroni? <laughs> Get out of here. Leave me alone. I'm what? I'm 13, please. I'm 13 and I can make an eclair. <laughs> yeah. You know what's making me laugh is the fact that, you know, the fact you called yourself like a little fat boy. <laughs> It's kind of like, which, you know, it's, it's very, very you, very self-depreciated. But then, then you list all the things that you really love. Macaroni, yeah. cheese, and eclairs. Eclairs. It wasn't about childhood. <laughs> I can make a really nice salad. Uh-uh. No, no, nothing to do with fruit. You know what's weird is that 
Now, only now in life, I'm appreciating fruit and veg. Growing up, I did not, I didn't respect it. But now, oh yeah. my god, give me a vegan stir fry, I'm going crazy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you did that, but then, and again, the whole thing. I mean, you know, you you said at the start that that you're a bright boy, and you obviously are. I mean, it's obvious just from anyone who speaks to you. But then you didn't go into food. Nah. You then you then went into social work. Yeah, it was it was really weird. So I had a choice to go um, Westminster Kingsway College in Victoria, yeah. which is like a chef college. Yeah. I was so close. And you know what it was? I thought if I went, if I, instead of doing my A-levels and going to college, I felt like if I went and did like an apprenticeship and went down the career route, I just thought I would fail compared okay. to my friends. Because I felt like there was a pressure on, like they kind of came to our school and said, yeah, guys, um, you can all do A-levels. Yeah. All of you can go do these wonderful A-levels or... If you're weird and different, you can come do an apprenticeship. And that's what it kind of felt like because no one I, did it. They didn't say it like that. No, no, no. <laughs> that's what I mean. Someone suddenly go, if you're weird, nah, you can it do it. They didn't say it like that, but that's what it felt like. It <laughs> yeah, felt yeah. like if you don't want to be like all your friends, come to Westminster Kingsway College and yeah. be a chef or come here and be a plumber. Come, do you know what I mean? And I feel like nowadays, I feel like kids got more insight and maybe will make a better decision. But when I was younger, yeah. I just wanted to go where all my friends was going. So I really wanted to be a chef. I went to Westminster Kings. I went to an open day, but it just didn't work out. And then I went college, normal college life, wasn't concentrating, really get, like failing, but I was bright, like I said. And then one day, my head of year pulled me to the side. I've never spoken to him, didn't really care for him. Uh-huh. He was like to me, Zoo, you don't really know me, but I know that you're failing. So why don't we make you talk to a career advisor? I spoke to a career advisor. She's like, what do you want to do with your life? I said, listen, I'm not good at a lot of things. All I'm good at is really talking. She was like, okay, well, why don't you be a social care worker? Why don't you work in youth work? I said, miss, I'm 17. How can I be a youth worker? She was like, she kind of showed me a couple of things. And then there was a thing called City Year, which is the national, is part of the National Citizenship Service, which is like a voluntary charity where you work in school with kids. Yeah. Volunteered for City Year. Left, I left college with rubbish grades. Volunteered for City Year. And the experience I had from City Year got me into uni. So I could use, instead of having mad grades, I could just use the fact that I was a volunteer. So what happened in that year then? How does it work? Um, City year, it's like, it's kind of like American. It's like you wear these bright red coats and you go to schools and you do like PT sessions where you sing songs like and get them really gassed. But basically we're, we was TAs. And what age were you? What age so kids? City year ranges from 18 to 25 years of volunteers. And in the schools you work in, you either work in a primary school or secondary school. Yeah. I got to a secondary school. I worked in Haggerston girls school in East London and I worked there for half a year and it was crazy you know I was 18 years old old working with young kids kind of learning how to become a youth worker how to deal with safeguarding how to deal with a kid telling you something's going on at home and you having to tell his head the, the head teacher learned a lot of that stuff left city year did some more work and then luckily my, my university goldsmiths they were like to me yeah, you know what? You got the right experience. You may not have the best grades, but we'll accept you on your experience. What did you study in? Social science yeah. and youth work. So you're 19 now? I was, yeah, I was 19. I was 19 studying studying in Goldsmiths. But at the same time, music was kind of like prominent in my life and music music started to slowly take over. So when did, when did that start? When did you start? So I, I started having fun with it when I was at 16. But when I was at 18, 19, in that time of city year and going to my uni, that's when I kind of like go, started going radio, started putting out songs, working with different people. That's kind of like when music started picking up. So by the time I was in second year, 
of university, I had to make a decision. I'm like, am I going to be a youth worker who's going to help young people be a qualified youth worker? Or am I going to be a musician who can still help young people, but maybe in a different way? Like everybody who is successful, everyone skirts over sort of key moments in their life story. Everyone that yeah. we've had on grilling has sort of done the same thing. So when you sort of say, I sort of think, you know, if I decide I was going to get into music, yeah. it's not easy. So how did you go from deciding this is a bit fun, I'm doing it. Yeah. Where does the success from? Because it's not just about talent. No, no, well, of course not. I mean, I wish it was, but it's not. <laughs> no. I'm actually quite glad it isn't about talent because I've been I... blagging it for kind of 30 years, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dead. Um, you know what? It was just fun. We was just freestyling for stuff. And then we went to radio, pirate radio, started going to like random radio stations, pop-up stations, doing grime sets, just doing sets of literally just grabbing a mic and rapping. It was kind of like when I started doing shows, working publications, doing stuff for like different companies. Like 2014, when I got into the, to the grime game, 2015, I was really lucky like in the rise of UK rap and grime, was also the time that I joined. When the game was getting more love from mainstream, when music labels started investing, when companies started coming back, people wanted to start working with us again. The grime game, the UK rap game, wasn't in the best place up until 2010, 2011. But from 2012, 2013, 2014, it started picking up. So I was lucky that I was part of that wave. So by the time I was in second year, things were going so crazy. I was doing shows in the night. I was going here, I was going up wow. to Bristol doing shows, da, 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 da. and then I have to come home, come home and do a lecture. Were you making morning. money from it then? Yeah, I was making money. Yeah. I was making and I was the money that I was making was not crazy money. I was still living off my student loan. Don't get it twisted. Second year, I got my student loan in and I bought a mo- moped and yeah. started working for Uber Eats. Right. And delivery <laughs> and gin and all of these. So I was still, I was doing deliveries. I was delivering food, going uni, then going radio. Yeah. So I was doing it all. But I got to a place where I'm like, you know what? I, I can't do music if I go to uni every day. But my problem was, is that I don't want to go sell my soul and become a musician and just care about money when my purpose was to help young people. So I said, okay. Okay, that's nice. My music will be about young people. So that's why I started making like a lot of conscious rap and things that were for young people. And Is it true that where you used to record, they wouldn't let you uh, blaspheme? Yeah, you couldn't swear. You weren't allowed to, in my first youth club where we first proper start recording, a place called Rugby Club, which is an amazing place, private organisation, not government funded, just out of, the po- out of their own pockets, out of their own hearts. They used to have this guy, our mentor there, and if he would swear, he will just stop recording. Doesn't matter if it was the best take of your life, he will just press, doop, <laughs> and then he'll press delete, and then he'll look at you and be like, change the word. At first we were like, okay, why do you do that? But then obviously now it's kind of better because it's kind of showed us you don't have to swear in every single instance, and it's good for radio. And it's just yeah. good for your cadence and it's good to kind of like also just express yourself differently rather than saying the F word or the S word. You can just say something else that expresses it better. You know? I like that though, because I do think it's very true. I yeah. mean, you know, as a, as a scouser then, we sort of say that, you know, swear is actually what we call punctuation. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think you, particularly like, you know, in that game and kind of rap and grime, then obviously yeah. the expletives are kind of, because they're there for emphasis. Yeah, yeah 100%. Like there's certain songs you can't, can't do without swearing, but. That kind of like discipline that we learned from our youth club was really important. And, and we was lucky that we had someone that was kind of like thinking, forward thinking. He weren't just thinking, oh, these are some little y- yeah. y- youths in the youth club. He's thinking, no, you lot can make it. You lot can get on radio. But if you're going to get on radio, don't swear that much. Try and think of, the, try and be creative with what you say. It's so mad because 
the first thing in music that kind of took off for me was a, a freestyle about my life and about young people. I did it on SBTV and I was just talking about my life and talking about young people, talking about young people doing things that they shouldn't do. And it went absolutely mental. It got like hundreds of thousands of views. Wow. It was the first time ever something like that went crazy for me. Like I did, I was doing things. Yeah. I was getting up there in the game, but nothing I did was like viral. And it's positive. And it was positive about my life, about young people. And all the comments were like, oh my God, we need people that talk about things like this. So once I did that, that's how I started. I started going down that lane. Yeah. Rather than trying to be, I was still a gassed, hype, grime MC, but I was also like this conscious, positive rapper. So when you decided to leave uni yeah. to pursue that as a career, yeah. how did your mum take it? Oh, God. My mum's from West Africa, as we said. So for her, she was like, the devil's in me. Someone has <laughs> taken over me. I've, I don't know what's going on. She got my dad to call me, which was so funny. Wow. My dad don't do anything in my life, but he called me and he was like, Zoo, what's going on? I'm like, listen, dad, please, I beg. When I do my thing, you'll all be cool. And she was kind of like, my mom was just worried because she's like, you are dropping out of your course when you are in the end of your second year. Yeah. All you have is one more year. Just finish it. I was like, mom, the time that I am putting into uni, I can literally be putting into rap. And if I do what I can do off rap, I'll never make the money that I am from rap as a youth worker. Yeah. My, my family, I got is a guy called AJ Tracy. He's a very massive rapper. His mom is one of the biggest youth workers in the country. He, she inspired me to become a youth worker. And I went to ask her, I was like, Julia, what is the top, top salary for a youth worker? And she was like, it's around 50, 60K. And I was like, okay, that's wonderful. But then I, kn I knew rappers getting that for a show. Yeah. So I was like to her mom, listen, trust me. Yeah. If it goes well, we'll be all right. But then I weren't, I weren't, I weren't able to pay bills. I was very broke. I had, like I said, I was working for Uber Eats, dropped out of college. Yeah. And it was really tough. My mom was but a really great sad. decision. Oh God. I had no choice. I had no choice. I had to do it. I had to. I just felt like if I didn't do it, I was going to wilt away. And then within a couple months, started getting a couple of shows, a couple of things, got management, did a song of KSI, yeah. which went absolutely mental. Things started picking up from there. Then my mom was like, okay, maybe you can survive of this thing. Yeah. And she became my biggest fan. From she realized that actually, you know what, my son might be able to be successful. It wasn't even about he can make mad money and buy me a house. It wasn't about that. My mom just wanted me to be self-sufficient. Once she realized that I could do that, she was like, okay, I'm in. And every single song, every single show, everything. My mom will listen to this podcast and she'll tell you what I said at like 53 minutes or something. She's <laughs> such a fan. That's great. I love that. But, and, but also, I, I want to kind of move on from the music in yeah. a set, but it just, was it also important to you right the way through that your voice was saying something? Yeah. You know, sure. because you're a very entertaining guy, but there is always yeah. a message. Oh, one million percent. I was lucky I had those two sides to my music. Like, grime is all about energy. You know, you're in a rave, you're in a party. Nobody wants to, nobody cares about what you're saying. All they care about is the energy, yeah. the hype. Whereas I was an artist who was so much about lyrics. So I was had to navigate between that, going to a rave, being able to shut it down and go crazy, but also come off. And when you listen to me, I'm saying stuff. So for me, it was so big because I said, I knew I owed it to myself. And I knew that would keep me grounded. If I said to myself, cool, I make a music for young people because I wanted to be a youth worker. So then I'm not going to say certain things on tracks or do certain tracks just yeah. for money. I'm really lucky, really, really lucky that people take me in because there's, there's rappers that talk about the stuff that I talk about and people don't listen to them because they just want to hear music's about fun and vibes. Of course. But rap, the, the actual origins of rap, 
is against oppression from the man. Rappers in America were only rapping to express themselves against the the problems that they had in their society, it then developed and then in the 90s became glitz and glam with your two-pack biggies, NWA, they became like the gangster rap kind of thing and then it elevated into what we have now. But the roots of it was against the system and I kind of thought, that's what I'm here for and, I, and it will never die. I think a rapper saying some real stuff, looking you in the eye, saying some stuff that connects, is, it will, there's no better, like in, in rap, there's no better feeling. Saying popping bottles, girls, that's all great. But talking about society, your life, that's the real stuff, man. Love it. Love it. For the first time I met you, for the first time I watched you on telly, then there's something incredibly captivating about you. And we're going to come on to back into food Let's and back do into it. how you did it. But before that, oh um, we do our, what we call our BBQ&A. See what we've done there. Incredibly <laughs> clever. And we ask all our chefs the same five questions about outdoor cooking. So okay. question number one is, do you have a favourite barbecuing memory? Memory? Ah, oh, barbecuing memory. Probably just every time. My friend Haider that I do Big Eats with, he is really good at barbecue. They have the Turkish one. Uh-huh. The, the big metal square. Yeah. All I remember is him and his dad they can't cook with normal minced meat. It has to be minced rib meat. Wow. So they mince the rib. They go to the shop. Wow. They're like, yo, can we get five kilos of rib or something? And they, can you mince that for us? Because that's the only burgers they can eat rib meat. <laughs> but they're amazing. Oh, they're so good. It's just so juicy. Yeah. It's juicy, flavorful. You don't have, they just put black, uh, black pepper, salt. That's it. You see, but that's it. It's like, you know yourself, that thing, the better the quality of the meat is, yeah. then the easier it is. Exactly. But, but a burger's it. so used to just not being, like, burger yeah. at your friend's house, doesn't have to be good meat, but Hyder has to be rib meat. I like that. <laughs> I like that boy even more now. <laughs> All right. So, so the next one is, do you have a favourite season for barbecues? Because I, I like it in the winter. There's something lovely about when there you cook so outside the winter. Cause it, cause it, the air is moist and it's cooler, yeah. and therefore all the all the meat tastes kind of better. Mm. And there's something quite, I don't know, there's something quite primal about it. We go, yeah. I have fire, I can, <laughs> I can cook. I'm outside in the cold. You remember when I first started working with Weber? And obviously in the UK we tend to use barbecues in the summertime. Yeah. And they'd send me all these pictures of all these like crazy people in in Ohio in the winter, yeah. and they're standing in like two feet of snow barbecuing yeah. and then when you start doing it, when you start barbecuing outside it's yeah. amazing in the winter yeah i can imagine you know what i'm not i like a springtime barbecue like i don't like barbecues in the blistering heat i feel like it's too hot i normally i'm the one that gets told to be on the grill yeah. so when all that charcoal's burning in your face yeah. and you smell like the end of a chicken leg <laughs> a burnt chicken leg it's not really fun but spring is a bit more cool a bit more chilled you know, hopefully it don't rain. You're kind of looking out for the rain. Yeah. I, I like a bit of spring. I'm a very, like, hoodies person. <laughs> Do you know what? You, I took the words out of my mouth and said, I'm actually now thinking that the reason you like it in the spring is because you like you like your clothes. Yeah. So it's like in the summer, then... Summer is too much jeans, too much shirts, <laughs> chilling. I like chilling. I love summer, but I hate being super hot. I'd rather be super cold than super hot. Okay, right. So I'm one so, of those. So right. it's springtime. So you're here to hear first that Big Zoo likes springtime for barbecue so he can wear a hoodie. So I can wear a hoodie. <laughs> and it can possibly soak the, up and it can soak up all that smoky flavour. Possibly the best answer we've ever had on that one. <laughs> uh, and have you, have you ever had any massive disasters barbecue? Whether it be you or whether you've been to a barbecue and someone has poisoned you. Oh, oh disaster. I think the, probably the biggest disaster was, you know, the, the thing that holds the grill, that holds all the meat. The grill, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
um, caved in. Oh. And we lost a, a lot of wings. Lost a lot of wings. <laughs> Tried to bring them back. They all went directly on the coal. And it just, I feel like when you lose meat in a barbecue, it feels like, oh, it feels like a little shot to the heart. <laughs> we lost all the wings. So losing all the, I, wings are like the greatest thing on a barbecue. And what's so funny about them is because if you put them on a barbecue straight away, they're not going to cook. Yeah. You have to kind of put them on at the end. Yeah. So it's like that final thing that, and you're always like, is it cooked? Is it cooked? Hopefully it's cooked. I pray that it's cooked. And <laughs> nine times out of 10, it's probably not cooked. And you're eating it, it's pink. And you're saying, you know what? It's because of the marinade. The marinade <laughs> goes into the meat and it makes it a bit pinky. So yeah, probably probably losing wings or not cooking the wings properly. Those that, are like my two. That, that thing that when you, when you, if they drop onto the coals and you convince yourself it still tastes all right, but it doesn't. Oh, it's it, so it disgusting. Tastes, it tastes of coal. Whichever way you dress it up, it tastes of coal. Basically, yeah. And you go, oh, this is nice. No, no, I always put a bit of charcoal in the marinade because uh, it's really good for brushing your teeth at the same time. Yeah, we've all done that. <laughs> I love it. What we're going to get Zoo to do, as we do with all of our chefs, is you have 45 seconds yeah. to come up with the, the greatest barbecue dish ever to sell me. And you've got to sell it okay. as, if, as if you're doing it. Well, actually, I should have got you to bloody wrap it, really. I mean, I should have spat it, but you know, so, so you have 45 seconds. You can choose any piece of meat, fish or veggies that you want. Yeah. You have to have some kind of marinade or rub with it. And I have to have a side dish with it as well. Okay. So you can have a little think about that. Um, yeah. Because before we do that, I just want you all to know about a special offer we've got for you at weber.com forward slash grilling. If you want to improve your skills on the barbecue, Weber are offering you a discount to attend their Grill Academy, which is quite amazing, to be honest. Uh, it's where you learn to impress your friends big time with your barbecuing. See that big time? I sounded a bit like you then. I was trying to be a bit more you street rather than like, rather than, <laughs> rather than a lumbering old middle-aged man. Now you got it. You got the energy. He's sitting here, he's sitting here with my glasses on, kind of like squinting, squinting at it where you're sitting there looking cool. Anyway, uh, we learn to impress your friends big time with your barbecuing expertise by learning from some serious pros with different courses available to suit your standard and needs. The offer is valid for Grill Academies in the UK. Enter the code GRILLING21, that's GRILLING21, before the 15th of October at weber.com, and you'll get £50 off when you book two tickets on a course. And you can find that noise you can hear isn't Big Zoo going to the loo. That's actually him pouring some water. Sorry, guys. Uh, you can find all the information you need at weber.com forward slash grilling. And also, the Weber website is a great place to find a host of tips for barbecuing and a fantastic range of recipes from smoked chicken wings, there you go, ones that haven't fallen on the coals, uh, with a hoisin glaze, which is beautiful, to a spinach and ricotta calzone okay right so just to recap so you got 45 seconds i want the name of the dish how are you going to do it i want it to feel as if you know i am your audience i'm sitting here and i'm thinking i don't know whether i'm going to invest in big zoo's kind of uh barbecue wrap are you ready my friend 45 seconds from now what you want to do is make a mixed grill a turkish mixed grill but on the barbecue yeah, so it's a barbecue Turkish mixed grill. So obviously you're gonna come with all your original kind of Middle Eastern flavors. You know, a bit of smak, bit a bit of baharat, all those kind of things. Marinate it with a lot of lemon, yogurt. You know, like a proper shish kebab. You know the shish, yeah, the the orangey kind of Turkishy shish. You're gonna get that. Twenty five seconds gone. Very barbecuey, and what's gonna finish it off is your beautiful Big Zoo barbecue sauce which I'm going to send you in the post. Okay. Yeah, I've got barbecue sauce. So you're going to make a Turkish mixed grill, cover it in some Big Zoo barbecue, served with some lovely saffron rice and a, and a nice little garlicky salad. You can't go wrong, man. Beautiful. That's the vibes. 43 seconds is good. That sounds good. I like Come that. On. It's very good. So do you barbecue much? We leave it tighter. He's got a certain way. I'm good at, do you know what I'm good at? I prep. So I'm okay. good at prep. I prep the meat. 
prep salad. I do all the prep. I just don't do the cooking. I prep the meat. I'm the seasoner. Yeah. So when we first, we just moved house. And when we first moved in, all we've been doing is getting disposable barbecues and eating burgers. I live with three of my lads. So we're so <laughs> bad at cooking that we'll make a little... You're not bad at okay, cooking. Okay, we're not bad at cooking. at cooking. We're good at cooking. Well, you, but you're bad at organisation. Home cooking. Yeah. You know, okay. put us on telly, food truck. Oh, we'll go all day. But give us this kitchen in our own house. <laughs> Nobody, nobody trying to boil a pasta, mate. So we've been, um, it's because it's because of the cleaning, but that's another conversation. Um, we've been barbecuing a lot. I like to season. We lost the whole batch of chicken legs the other day because we put them too early on the grill. Really heartbreaking. But we've been perfecting our, bur- our, our, our burgers. That's kind of like our new thing. I love smash burgers, but it's hard to do. I do. It's hard to do smash burger on a, on a, a possible barbecue. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. What I do is make a little dip in the in the patty so it doesn't go up. Well, do you know what? That's very interesting because uh, we had Adam Richmond on the show. He was uh, Man versus Food. Yes, the legend. One of my one of my heroes and also a really good friend. I'm glad to say. And we asked him for his top barbecue tip, and that was his tip. He said put a little dent in yeah. the in the burger so they don't rise up. Yeah, because I mean, and nobody likes a weird crimpled. Um, yeah, burger. you want it to be nice and flat and grilled and ah, oh. yeah. I think also. What I've learned as well, with our, with our minced meat, we put a tomato in it. A chopped tomato? Diced tomato okay. in there. People put a lot of stuff. People like to put onions, breadcrumbs, yeah. um, seasoning. I really love a tomato in it. I don't know what it does. It just adds this extra level. That's quite of, nice. I've never done that. Just mince up a tomato, man. Yeah. You don't, you don't, have, to, you don't have to take off the skin. You don't have to take off the seed. Just get in there. Well, I suppose you sort of things like... Lots of Indian cuisine, their base is kind of that you'll puree up some yeah. ginger, some tomato and some chilies and use that as a base. So, yeah, I, I kind of see that. That moisture will sort of stay in there. Yeah. Nice. It's good, man. It's good. Little tomato in there, a little bit of onion. Oh, that's like their, their proper like Arab kind of way. Because they, they make, I can't remember what, I, I think it's called shifter. Uh-huh. They make the, it's like kofta patties. So these are, yeah. if you think about it, like... Obviously, a burger is such an Americanized kind of thing, but like Middle Eastern people, they love kofta, they love meat, they love yeah. like making little patties. So we kind of use that influence and then bring it into barbecuing. All right, now let's let's get down to the nitty gritty. So big oh. zoo. big eats. Yes. How did this happen? So this, if, if you know, if listeners, if you if you've not seen it. Well, tell us the concept of the show and then tell us how it came about. Okay, so me and my two friends from secondary school, Tavzi and Haida, myself, Big Zoo, we cook for comedians while they're on tour. That was first season. We literally just pull up while you're on tour. If you're Jimmy Carr and you're on tour, we'll come, knock on your door. Do you want dinner? So where we left this before we did our, our little barbecue segment is yeah. that you're a full-time rapper now. You've yeah. kind of done that. You know, you, left, your mum kind of it. your mum thinks the devil has kind of infiltrated into you. She's now become your kind of your biggest fan. Yes. And you've always kind of loved food. So how yeah. did the how did the series come about? So while I was doing music, doing all these things, I was hosting shows on radio just for fun. That was out of chance. Random story. So um, there's a radio station called Radar Radio, mm-hmm. which closed because of a HR scandal. The owner of this station is Mike Ashley's son. Right. Mike Ashley, Sports Direct, Newcastle. Yeah. His son is a guy called Ollie Ashley. Yeah. Who opened this random radio station because he wanted to be, he wanted to have the biggest station in London. Right. I started going there doing grime. One day I'm on the decks just having fun, DJing for fun. They go, oh, we want to give you like a little show, have a little show. Because they, they kind of knew my personality. Did the show. While I'm doing this radio show, I'm on Snapchat, always snapping food. 
uh-huh. like just putting food on social media. Then I started showing people... Food that you're making or food that yeah, you're eating? Food that I eat, food that I eat and food that I make. A little combo of both. Yeah. Nothing too strenuous. Radar Radio now is going a bit... It's going well. Oli takes me to the side and says, Zoo, we need to turn you into a brand. He's like, we need to make you become joints. Because I always said the word joints. He said, joints, let's make a show. Let's turn it into food. Let's do everything. You're gonna, they're gonna, he, want, he wanted to do everything with me. Obviously, he's a money man. His dad's a money man. His dad's a billionaire. So he kind of had this thought, this mindset where he saw me as more than just a grime MC. Yeah. He saw me as a full entertainer. Whereas me, I was just like, I just want to rap and get given shows and get a free rider. That's all I cared about, <laughs> you know? So his house was connected to Radar Radio. It was all one building. So he said, come to my house. I'll bring a cameraman and we'll film you cooking. And I was like, Okay, cool. We'll do it. Come How old are we now? Where, where, where this are we? is when I was like, I've just dropped out of college, still driving my moped. Yeah. I'm like, this is 2016. Okay. So I was like 21. Okay. I was 20, 20, 21, around then. It was around then. Um, done this cooking video in his house where I cook for I cooked for Chicken Connoisseur. Uh-huh. He's the guy that eats chicken and rates it. He did really well. He had a TV program. Um, and what did you cook him? I made him a chicken burger. I made him a fillet burger yeah. and chips, but I made it from scratch. So okay. I made the chips from scratch, battered the, the the chicken, fried it. So everyone, when they watched it, people were like, "Rose, you can actually cook," even yeah. though it wasn't mad cooking. They were like, "It was like, it was it was fun for them to watch." You know, I was incredibly stoned. I was like on a different vibe. I was just like having fun with my boys. But the cameraman that I worked, <laughs> the cameraman that I worked with were good friends of mine. They kind of recorded me rapping and stuff. Yeah. So we had this rapport already. Put it on YouTube. It did well. People liked it. I did another episode of it. Did two episodes of that. Yeah. More cooking I did. The most cooking I did was like on my Snapchat and stuff. One day, a couple years later, we're talking like 2018, 2019, a production company me- messaged my manager. One of them knew my manager and he's like, oh, why don't we get Zoom for a chat? Because, you know, I, by then, by this time, I'm on BBC One Extra. Okay. Radar Radio's closed. We've left them. BBC have taken us on. A lot of the people from Radar, BBC took on. Right. I was at one extra. Not doing cooking videos, but still talking about cooking. Still always relating stuff to food, just because I love food. And then this production company said, Zoo, let's make a show. I said, okay, what do you guys want to make a show about? They said, tell me the things that you like. Told them that I like food. I told them that I like youth work. And I think food is just easier to sell than youth work. So they um, they came up with a concept called Big Zoo's Big Riders. The concept was that I make the rider right, okay. for comedies, yeah. for, uh, for, for comedians, sorry, at comedy shows to show the, the, the kind of link between comedy and music. Music, we have a rider. Comedy, we have a rider. But the difference is I'm going to come cook your rider. Okay. Then we were like, that's a bit dead. Why don't we just cook for them? <laughs> Instead of calling it a rider, we'll just call it like Big Eats or something. And then yeah. we called it Big Zoo's Big Eats. Did a pilot. We got a paid pilot from UK TV. At this time, I'm like, I don't know what any of this means. I'm just like, are we doing the show or not? Done the pilot. It was with um, Ed Gamble. Yeah. Who absolutely loves food. Didn't know how much he loved food. Didn't know who he has. Yeah, well, I mean, his podcast amazing. Didn't know his podcast was that big. Yeah. Didn't know who. I didn't even know who he was. I just thought he looked like the guy from Love Island. Um, <laughs> so we've come to this random hall. And I cooked him Korean fried chicken. I made him some other stuff. I made him like a mad you, dessert. Was that in the truck then? Yeah, that was in the truck. Okay. So was the truck their idea or yours? The truck was their idea. But it was kind of like, because it was what was accessible at the time of for course. the pilot. Yeah. So for the pilot, it just made sense. Yeah. It wasn't like for the show. We didn't want to do it in a food truck. But the pilot came together so well because my co-host, Tubbsy and Haidar, they only came because on the day, we were supposed to get some social media influencers to work with me. 
we couldn't get anyone. So I was like, why don't we just get my two boys? They don't, yeah. do, they don't do anything. They were like, <laughs> okay, we'll try. Brought them, first time being mic'd up, first time being on camera, never done this stuff in their life, in the pilot. So, they were so stiff. They were so scared. It was so funny. <laughs> but once we got into it and I'm cooking, cussing them, they forgot about the cameras. Yeah. They started talking to me like, my yeah. real friends, and that and that that is one of the key elements of it, as well as kind of cooking for this stuff, which is almost which is the payoff, really. Yeah, um, <laughs> you know, but your boys, the, the 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 relationship the three of you have is what the success is. Aside from the food, yeah. I mean, the food is great for sure. The, nah, the food is the food's good, but Tubbsy and Hyde are they? I feel like there's something you get when you got three genuine friends on telly. Yes, and I feel like people can kind of relate to the fact that. They're not big social media influencers. They're not your typical faces. One of them's Kurdish and one of them's Iraqi. They definitely don't look like they're, they're, they're on telly a lot. And they, <laughs> they, they, do you know what it is? I think they bring this certain level of authenticity. And it also, we complement each other because Tubsy's like wacky and weird. Hyder's very like methodical and on point. I'm a bit of both. So they kind of, we kind of. You're like the ringmaster. I always think when you're on it, you're the one who kind of, because you're an entertainer, you kind of pick up when it needs to be picked up and you'll yeah. put them down when they need to be put down. It, it, it's just very... And it is real. I think that's that's the whole thing yeah, about it. Sure. It feels very real. Yeah, because like we, like I said, we did the pilot and then they're like, yeah, we're commissioning the whole series. And we're like, what does that mean? <laughs> they're like, you got the show. So, okay. Going through this long process, contract, this, da 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 Boom, you get given a filming day. We're like, okay, we're so gassed. We've gone to Wales. We did that first episode. It was a small crew. We got to learn. We got to meet our director. Da, 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 and we were kind of like, okay, this is Teleworld. And what 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 was happening with the food then? Because the food is, you know, you know, I'm not just saying it. I, I love your food. It's always kind of, it's always really delicious. Thank so you. were you writing all the recipes? What what was happening was obviously TV World. <laughs> there's yeah. the producers. There's your home ec. We was cooking for, we cooked for the comedians after their show. Yeah. Which is real. That is real. So it was obviously second series, things have changed. We don't just do that now. We cook for different people as well. But first series was before COVID, we was going to comedy shows. We'll be in the back of your comedy show, hiding, trying to cook Jimmy Carr dinner, you know? <laughs> and when he comes off stage, we got like an hour to get him off stage, get him on camera and feed him. Wow. So it was really tough because we kind of had to work out for the first series because on the, on the show, it looks like I cook the food and I go. Yeah. So we had to legally stop doing that and make it and start saying we're pre-cooking the food, practicing right. to make a fresh batch later for okay. them. So yeah. the real concept was that we cook for them and go to the show, but fe it wasn't feasible. So it was kind of like we practice all the dishes and then we cook it for them later. And with the food, the producers called the, 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 the guests, find out what they love. Yeah. And then they kind of, we go, me, the home ec producer, take their favorite food, turn it into, and just give it some big zoo energy, which is basically either make it extremely large yeah. or <laughs> combine it with another cuisine. So if, I think- What's your favorite thing you cooked in that first series? Oh, favorite in the first series. There was, there was a lot of stuff. What did I like the most? Who did you do the massive cheese thing for? Who was it who loved cheese and you gave it him... It was Ed Gamble. Ed Gamble. And you gave him cheese, cheese, and yet just more cheese. cheese. We made a steak steak and cheese burger. Yeah. Which was just... Yeah, that was crazy. I think my favourite thing I cooked was probably the Doritos fried chicken for Jimmy Carr because when I made it at first, I thought, this is such a little weird recipe. Uh -huh. But I feel like... I, I didn't know that people really... Like, I didn't know that if you cook on telly, people will cook the food you make. Yeah, I <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. 
Because yeah. I always thought like, who goes out of their way to get our recipes and go make in the house? It turns out a lot of people do it. So, yeah, do. and then I didn't realize that the Doritos fried chicken was really accessible for like little kids. Yeah. Because their par- they're watching Big Eats with their parents and then they're like, oh my God, he put Doritos on chicken. Oh my God, I need to do that. The talk is through this recipe because this is, this is almost your signature dish really. Isn't it's, it? it's become that. I, di- I didn't ever think it would be, but um, it's literally just normal fried chicken. Yeah. But you just add crumbled up Doritos to your bread in and it just adds this lovely little flavour that you can't explain. It makes it very crispy and it's just a good it's way to dirty, cook it. It's dirty, It's dirty. It is. It's it is properly dirty. It's not good for you. It's not yeah. good for your, your, your heart or soul. But um, <laughs> It's good for your soul. Not your yeah, it's good your for heart. your soul. But it's a good way to cook with your kids because I get stopped by a lot of people and they're like, yo, I make that with my son. I make that with my daughter. And they're like, they, they really like it because Doritos are something that they eat and they love because they're little kids. Yeah. So when they get to crumble it, put it on some raw chicken and watch it, see that whole process, it gets them into cooking. And I never knew that we represented this kind of like easy style of cooking. And that's that's something that I loved with like Sunday brunch. That's something that I connected with because I felt like a lot of chefs make things look very chefy. Yeah. And it's not that you're not chefy because you are, but I felt like when you guys cook with the celebrity, yeah, it makes it look really simple yeah. and digestible. And that's what I think what happened with Big Eats is that when we cook, me and my two lads, because we don't look like chefs. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be like Tim. <laughs> we don't really look like chefs. So if we can do it, yeah. surely you can. Yeah. And I had no idea that was going to be a fact. I didn't really care about that. I was just wanted to have fun. So when I started getting people, people getting inspired from the food that we made, that Doritos fried chicken, that it just became like... Yeah a big dish for us. But it, and I think, I think it's an important thing. I always sort of think that, you know, when you cook on telly from a chef's point of view, yeah. you go one of two ways. You either go, look how clever I am <laughs> uh, and you'll never be able to do this or you do, <laughs> look, cooking in fundamental terms is quite straightforward. Yeah. So look, if I can do this, and like you're saying, if a guest can kind of do it, yeah. you can have a, you can have a go exactly. at this. And I, and I love that. It's, it is sort of one of the greatest rewards. Like one of the things I love is if I cook something that's really simple, by the end of the show, People have posted pictures. They've done it. They've actually they've got mad. the stuff in their cupboards. That they've got, and you think that's amazing. Yeah, that's that's, a, that's a, you know that, coming back to the very start of this about having a voice for young people. Yeah, in a very different way. I always think that wow, if I can make somebody go and stand in their kitchen rather than get a takeaway or yeah. kind of eat rubbish, then I'm I'm dead happy with that. One million percent. When I put out this show and we've done stuff, cooking stuff, and we put out the cookbook, I never realized how much good energy you get in the air from getting people to cook because when I like you said with my lyrics for young people that's good energy I Mm. get that energy back yeah and with cooking it's a whole different thing like getting stopped in the street and somebody telling you they made your food at home yeah it makes you think raw you actually went out your way and I I helped you have dinner today so what happens then with the balance? So we're, we're up to date. You've got a book <laughs> out now. You've got second series of Big Zoo Eats. Um, you probably have kind of far more attention for your food than I do, which kind of slightly depresses me. Um, <laughs> so wh- where's the balance then? You know, will you do more food or is food just that joyous thing that you do alongside rap? Oh, it's, I, I mean, telly, right now, telly is a weird one because I've gone into it and I'm getting like, I'm getting a lot of shouts to do a lot of things. People want to make all these different kind of shows. I'm kind of just like, obviously with telly, you can go, I've come in with food, but I can go in different routes, but I definitely want to stay within the food world. Yeah. Because I feel like what we have in in it is very special. And I think with rap, I'm always going to make music, never going to stop making music. Yeah. But I definitely see 
a long-term goal within food, which is like, I want to be able to like do shows, give opportunities to young people. I want to make a restaurant. All these things. With I want to explore food as much as possible. And ah, oh, music is music is always going to be my number one love. Yeah. Always going to make it. But the music game is cruel and it's a lot of grind and perseverance. And to be at the top of music, you have to do a lot of sacrifices. Whereas food, you can live within it and you can enjoy and you don't have to be Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> Very good answer. All right, one final thing. We get all of our guests every week to tell us their little hidden gem. So we tended not to go down the route of kind of like, you know, big fancy restaurants. It needs to be somewhere that if you were going to go with your boys on your own, you just want to go somewhere that is kind of like special to yeah. you. Where are you going to take our listeners oh, to? I've got like 1,500 places. I'm really good for these things. Yeah. I'm a good fit. Can I give you two? Or can I only give you one? Go on. You know, you can have two. Can I, you. You can have they're two. both Lebanese. Okay. Because I feel like Lebanese food is... Oh, I've got three, but I'm going to pretend them. I have Lebanese food. Lebanese no, food. you only have two. You can't have three. I can only have two. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. One's called the Cedar. Mm-hmm. Um, C-E-D-A-R. They make authentic taste in Lebanese food. And where is it? They got one in, in, in Fernhead Road, which is the road that I actually grew up on. Okay. So that is like, you can go there and go have some big zoo history. Yeah. They make Munaish. Munaish, which is Lebanese pizza, which is the one where they put like zaatar cheese or meat. Lovely. Freshly made in the oven. It's like, it's like Napoleon pizza made by Arab. It's just so good. <laughs> um, Cedar, they got one in West Hampstead. They got one in, in Fernhead Road, which is made yeah. of El. And then another, this is like the biggest life hack I'm ever going to give you. There's one in South London. It's called Lebanese Grill. Okay. It's on New Kent Road. I'm genuinely writing this down. Yeah. It's in New Kent Road. Yeah. They close at 3 a.m. If you are ever driving past Elephant and Castle for some reason, I don't know why, but you're in London yeah. and you drive past Elephant and Castle, it's past 12 and you are hungry and you don't want to eat McDonald's drive through There's this place called <laughs> Lebanese Grill. They only take cash. Yeah. There's definitely going to be a queue outside and they do a thing called boneless chicken. Half boneless chicken with spicy rice. Mm. It's six pounds. I'm Lebanese, so I can give it... I've gone to Lebanon. I've been to Beirut. I've been to different places. I've had shawarma in the mountains. I've done it all. I've been to Turkey. I've been to all the places you can get the greatest kebab. Even Australia, where Lebanese people somehow have emigrated. Lebanese Grill, New Kent Road. There is something about that grill. I think it's because they cook so much chicken. Yeah. That chicken just overlaps in flavour. And a little tip. This is the big zoo tip. Cool before you go. Order 15 minutes. When you get there, say you called and they'll probably start cooking it then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A bit like Nando's where you used to work. Oh, God. <laughs> this place is like Nando's <laughs> on, on steroids. It is it's so... I don't know why it's so good. It's one, there's, only one, there's only one chain. One time I called the guy and I said, bro, why don't you do delivery? Because I hate having to come to the store. He said, brother, we make too much money. We don't need delivery. <laughs> Love it, mate. It's it's it, it's a joy. We've not we've not even talked about Liverpool. We're both massive Liverpool. Oh fans. God! I don't know about you, right? So the thing I always say, the greatest thing I've had about being the public eye is I now have really good links with Liverpool football club. <laughs> and in my phone, <laughs> I've got the phone numbers of Kenny Dalglish, Robbie Ooh. Fowler, John Barnes, and you just go, "This is incredible! This it's is right. absolutely crazy." Kenny Dalglish came to my fiftieth birthday party. So I listen. Mean, that, that was that's like a knighthood. Oh, I, I, tell me about it. I mean, it that is the greatest thing. I mean, how how come you're a Liverpool fan? My dad, my right. dad is from Sierra Leone. When they first got coloured TV, red was really nice, and <laughs> it was the eighties. Liverpool doing well. Yeah. So 
it was either two ways. You either became a Liverpool fan or in the 90s became a United fan. And we we was we was Liverpool and I was born into it and didn't get to see no glory until I was 10. Yeah. So the Champions League final. And then it was a long, long 15 years of 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 waiting. Yeah. And I feel like in the last few years, we've been spoiled. Oh. And this season we're back. And who would be then? Okay, so you, you only have one person in the current Liverpool setup. Are you going to cook for on Big Zoo Eats? Just uh, one. Is it going to be Jaeger? Would it I be would, Virgil? Would I would it be say Hendo, Hendo or, oh, Virgil, yeah. or, or Klopp, but I'll probably bring it back and get more salary in. Yeah. Because he's just an international superstar. Isn't he? he is just so... And I feel like cooking with him, talking about his, in Egyptian, his Egyptian roots, that would be really interesting. Yeah. Seeing like what kind of food he had growing up. And I feel like... I could connect to Mr. Mo Salah. But big shout out to Hendo because he is an absolutely amazing man. He's very kind and has supported me in my career. I don't know how, but they, them lot have just, they've given me a lot of support, man. And, That's brilliant. You know, big up Hendo. That's brilliant. Well, listen, uh, this conversation about Liverpool will continue long after sure. uh, our podcast is finished. Big Z, always a joy to see you, my friend. You always, you. you always shine light on everybody. And uh, good luck with everything you do. Not that you need it, fellow, because you're smashing it. Thank you very good much. You, um, Weber, can I get a barbecue, please? That will be that will be great. Um, I just moved house, got a garden. Um, and I have had enough of my disposable barbecues, yeah? Um, Simon sent me. <laughs> Love it. Cheers, mate. Thank you so much to Big Zoo for joining us on Grilling. A really, really interesting guy and an incredible vision and with an incredible message for everybody. Now, hopefully, we've also given you a few ideas as what's possible in the kitchen and on a Weber grill next time you have your friends over. Head to Weber.com for plenty more recipe ideas. I suspect Zoo would approve of their steak and tomato kebabs with avocado sauce, delicious, along with pretty much everything else. And if you head to Weber.com forward slash grilling, you can find details of that £50 discount to their Grill Academy courses. Subscribe to the podcast on your preferred app, rate us, and tell your friends about us too, especially if you like it. Uh, We'll be back again next week with Atul Kutchar, so do join us for that. Grilling was brought to you in association with Weber Barbecues and is an off-script production produced by Ben Backhouse and executive producer Zach Brown. I'm Simon Rimmer. Thanks, as ever, for listening.